So we're going to look at chapter 2 this morning, and we're focusing on uh, verses 1 to 10, and we're going to dish out some Bibles. Who am I going to get to be the Bible distributor? Bethany. Yes. She looks thrilled. When I said that, everyone's heads went down like that. Don't look at if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we'd love to give you one. Stick your hand up in the air, and uh, Bethany will give you one. If you don't have one at home, please take it as a gift uh, from us. We'd love you to, to have one permanently in your home as well. And in these Bibles that are being dished out, it's on page 1198. So 1198. And for the rest of us, we can look it up on our smartphones, etc. T- uh, Titus 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teachings, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything and to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So when we read this particular passage, we see that Paul's writing to Titus to instruct Titus. So Titus is a a church leader. He's instructing Titus that these various groups, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, how to live. So he's saying, this is how these people, these different categories of people, this is how they should live. This is how they can shine Jesus Christ in their lives. And the reality is at this particular time, the church is at stake to grow. It's at a very early time of the church, first century church. And to grow and to allow Jesus to move, these people were to be carriers of the gospel, carriers of Jesus' glory. So this was a a pretty critical time in in the life of the early church. A lot hinged on these people. And there's a few things that that passage teaches us this morning. And we're going to look not exactly at what Paul says, although there is good qualities and good characteristics uh, to study in your own time with the bit that uh, we've read there about self-controlled and uh, and other stuff as well. But we're going to focus on, not focus as well on the groups of people because not all groups of people are represented. But we're going to focus and explore the importance of why Paul says what he did there. Why did he say it? The mission for Paul, this mission of spreading Jesus, spreading the name of Jesus is important. It's, it's his life. This is all that matters to Paul and in Titus's time as well. And right now today, it matters just as much. And for us as a, a fledgling site, as just, you know, nearly a year old, to share the gospel in our lives is, is, is vital. It's vital to this, this community, this area, to share what Jesus has done in our lives and to tell other people. So we're going to, uh, I've titled this, A Mission That Matters. When Paul was writing this to Titus, this was a mission that mattered because if it didn't work, the church wouldn't work. It needed to share Jesus and, and the ways of doing that. 
And uh, one thing I just want to look at is that faith is to be lived out. When reading this passage, uh, a movie came into my head and a challenge came to my mind. Now, I've got to make a bit of an admission here. I do like the odd chick flick. I do uh, likes of P.S. I love you. Anyway, I could, talk, I could do a whole sermon on chatting about all that. It is a bit of a guilty pleasure. But there's a movie called, I've honestly never seen this movie, I can, I can honestly say, but the concept of it I just want to look at. And it's a movie called Sliding Doors. And has anybody seen that movie? It's, it's a few years old. But the concept of this is that a woman gets sacked from her PR job. And she goes to catch the tube. And she makes it. And then time reverses itself. And she misses the tube. And what the movie does is it shows two parallel stories uh, running in this woman's life. What happened when she caught the tube and what happened when she missed the tube? That's quite a cool movie concept. I think it's quite a good movie concept. I don't know if it was a great movie though. Uh, But one thing that struck me in that was that one little decision like catching the tube and not catching the tube had such a big impact in this woman's life. In the first century world that Paul is writing to Titus, the environment is very different to what we live in now. We have the ability to hide, to live secretly, and we have a choice. And in this time that Paul is writing to Titus, that was not possible. Private and public couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. Churches met in homes. They met in people's homes. So the doors of the church were the doors of the people's homes. Unbelievers were regularly mixing and mingling around with these people, and they were in the mix and in the thick of it. So you'd see absolutely everything in these people's lives. You'd see everything. You'd see how people spoke to each other. You would see how parents treated their children. You'd see what happens when the Christians got tired, would they get a bit cranky and a bit. You'd see how they spoke about other people. Nothing was hidden whole lives on show, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So as a result of that, God's grace, God's power, God's presence needed to flood every single home. It needed to. The church was stripped back for all to see. And the church's witness required this, asking God to move in the everything, to be open, the whole person, the whole household, And people were living to learn and understand who they were created to be, what their purpose was, and what should be changing as a result. And that movie, Sliding Doors, the reason why I spoke about that is that it's a perfect illustration about how we often slip into the way of living, that we have two identifiable strands of life running parallel with each other. The work, maybe the one life is kind of the work, the family, the hobbies, the socializing, maybe the other is socializing church, you know, socializing with church people, the church, the small group, the serving. In a lot of ways, the public and the private, it's easier that way, we we, we tend to think. It's more organized, it's safer, but the reality is that's not who we're called to be. What good is that in the mission of God's gospel and 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 the mission that matters? And uh, the next thing I just want to look at is that it's a, a popular phrase that John Wimber said, John Wimber being a leader, uh, he was a leader of the vineyard movement in America, so a collection of churches, and he said one little quote that sticks out, and it says, faith is spelt, spelt R-I-S-K. It's spelt for R-I-S-K. So our faith needs to spell, if we have faith, if we are full of faith and living out of faith, we need to be living and taking risks, going for it. And Rick Warren, who's another pastor 
in America. He speaks brilliantly about this. He has a little devotional on this, on risk. And he looks at Ecclesiastes 10, chapter 10, verse 8, and it says this, when you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, it's pretty gruesome, isn't it? When you chop wood, there is danger with every stroke of the axe. Nothing we can't do, nothing we do can't have risk in it, Rick Warren says. So everything we do has risk attached to it. And he makes a reference to, who likes the Indiana Jones films here? Four people, maybe we'll have a movie night one night. In the Indiana Jones film, in the third one, he's in the edge of a cliff and he steps over even though he couldn't see a bridge. So he steps over even though a few people are nodding, I remember that But Genuine faith is stepping out, it's taking that risk when you can't see what will happen in the end, when you don't know what's going to happen in the end. And that's a very, very striking picture for each and every one of us, where, the, where our society lives out of each to their own. You know, I'll keep to my own little, little way of doing things. I'll keep myself to myself. Or I'm getting by just okay. Things are going okay. Where a lot of us, we have those two lifestyles run alongside each other, the Christian and the world. I know for my life, I'm guilty of doing that, switching between two of them, when I have an opportunity to take a risk, to have faith, to share what Jesus has done, or to say that I'll pray for someone, often just flick back onto my worldly way of doing things. And the reality is, in looking at this, and looking at how these people, how Paul was instructing uh, Titus and his people to live, I don't want to be switching between these two lives. I don't want to be doing that anymore. I want to live in, in risk every day. The reality is I have faith that my car will start in the morning. I have faith that my bed will hold me up at night time. I have faith that my shower will work when I go in the mornings. I need to have faith that I can see, have that same level of faith, that assuredness in Jesus because I know what Jesus has done in my life and I'm sure many of us have testimony to what Jesus has done in our lives. We need to have that same faith. And I long for that. And what an opportunity to share Jesus and to demonstrate and to live out what we've received. It should be something exciting. And there was a, one, a picture that just came really clearly in, into my mind as I was thinking about these two different ways of, of living. And I believe that God wants to do like an engineer, which is very appropriate because Aberdeen has loads of engineers and everyone I meet in Aberdeen, 90% of people work in oil and are engineers. But anyway, that doesn't make, yeah. But I had a picture of a train line and this train line has two tracks. And what God wants to do, and, and some of us, maybe for some of us, is just to join them up. You know, those bits where it just joins up and make it one. No more hiding. No more safe hopping across between the two to, to rise up a group of risk takers full of faith. So the first century church here is a model where people were journeying. They were faithful. They were risking. They were hungry for God. They were exposed. They were vulnerable. Because when you believed in Jesus, you had little choice in that time. You had little choice. They lived with a passion and a radicalness that when things happened, that unbelievers were mingling and, and the church was growing. The church was growing. People were loved. People were welcomed. They were open. You know, it was open doors. Come as you are. And the church grew. What a great picture that is for us at City Church North. And what does that look like in your space and the way that you do life in the week ahead? How does that change your life? How does that change how you, you go about your job, how you, how you act at home? 
how you speak to people. So faith should be spelled, is spelled R-I-S-K. If we could have the next slide up. We're a light in the darkest of places. Paul warns in the end of chapter one of all these false teachers, rebellious people, deceptive people, people who have wrong motives and are in reality are being used to pull us away from God. Paul warns about these people. And we need only to look around us to see that we have the exact same thing, but in a different form in this world. Watching the news, we prayed for the atrocities in Iraq just now. Just some of the most gruesome, gruesome things happening to people who know and love Jesus. All for their faith. All for their faith. In our country as well, acts of hate and viciousness. Also certain TV programs, movies, glorification of violence and gore and just explicit language, pornography. It's everywhere. It's on our doorstep. And Paul instructs to Titus to remind us that we're a light. You know, this is the way that we should live. This is what we should be growing and investing in ourselves. This is what should be stirring up. And the title of this chapter, and some of our Bibles it might be different, but it says, doing good for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of what Jesus has done for us. When we fully understand what Jesus has done on the cross for us, that we're forgiven, that we're free, that, that we are glorified you know he's glorified for by us that we glorify him that we remind to, to look to him we need to remember that do good for the sake of the gospel and this means that we're visible as well this means that we're visible in the first century church in the way that church was done it meant that people unbelievers gentiles they knew exactly what was going on in each other's lives They knew exactly what was happening, the person sitting next to them. They knew what they were struggling with. They knew what they were like. They knew what their bad habits were. They knew what they did wrong. They knew who you were, what you believed, what you weren't doing. And Paul is giving these instructions to make sure that we're growing good things in us, that we're growing spiritual gifts, love and kindness and self-control, patience. There's a common phrase that says, you may be the only Jesus people ever meet, or you may be the only Bible that people ever read. What a challenge that is if we we just think about that and dwell on that. You may be the only Jesus that people ever meet. So people that you meet might not ever step into this church, might never open a Bible, might never sing a worship song, but they might be the only Jesus that you ever meet. So it's striking how visible we really are, how visible we really are, and where God wants you to be. For example, in Shell, you might be the only Jesus people ever meet. In Tesco, speaking to the checkout lady, you might be the only Jesus she ever meets. At the gym, you might be the only Jesus that person in the gym ever meets. At the work meeting, the interview, the dentist. Francis of Assisi, who's an Italian Catholic minister, he says this, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. It's a great phrase, isn't it? There's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. And maybe for, maybe there's a few of us here and being a Christian is actually a real pressure just now. It's quite, it's quite heavy just now. It's getting, it's quite difficult. A pressure of being a Christian in the world, it's pretty tough going and you feel that you aren't doing too great a job believe God just wants to to lift you up this morning and just remind you of of the mission that you have. Maybe the the being visible thing, hearing that thing that you're visible, 
is actually quite a crippling thing. It's quite a worrying thing. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray that you build relationships, that you have opportunities to do life with people. It's just real life. It's just normal, real life chatting, getting to know people. We have a purpose that is much more exciting than anything the world can offer. And we aren't perfect as well. That's an important thing just to remember when we beat ourselves up. If there's any of us here thinking, yikes, I'm visible, they're going to say, I just remembered what I did last Thursday and they're going to talk about it in the office now. And oh dear. It's important to remember that we aren't perfect. We'll make mistakes whilst being visible. That's important to remember. But to remember that we're under grace, that Jesus has paid the price, that we're under grace under full forgiveness, we walk on. We don't just stop. We walk on and we display that grace and we live differently. So we're to be a light in the darkest of places. We're to be visible. And we're also to remember to glorify God in the mundane. So if this picture, if we think of this picture, the close proximity of this early church, that everything, everybody knew everybody. Everybody knew everything. Nothing could be hidden. Which means that the mission field was everything where you came into contact with non-believers. So being a light means that we understand the importance of the everyday and of the usual. We understand the importance of the routine as well. And for a few of us, that might be exactly what we need to hear. We think, my life isn't that too exciting. We speak that to ourselves. It's the same old routine. It's the same old ordinary. God wants to use us in the ordinary. He wants to use it and make it something, something good. I was reading a blog about this, and the lady who was writing the blog said this, no man or woman greatly used by God has escaped them. Great men and women of God have transformed the mundane, turning neighborhoods into mission fields, parenting into launching the next generation of God's voices, legal work into loving those most hurting, waiting tables into serving and loving in such a way that people see our God. When we fully understand that, the mundane doesn't become the mundane anymore. The routine doesn't become, it doesn't become what we class as a routine anymore. So if you're reading the title this morning, A Mission That Matters, and thinking, my mission doesn't matter. Mission, what, what kind of mission am I on? I'm not on a mission. Or my mission might matter, or my mission is over. Don't. Every little decision, every little action, every kind word that you give out is moving more than you can imagine when it's done for God, when it's done full of faith, when you're taking a risk. You are on the mission. We're all on the mission this morning. God loves each and every one of us and wants to use every single one of us. How exciting is that? That's pretty exciting. Maybe for some of us, we just need to ask God to break that block of I can't or I'm not able this morning. The early church's heartbeat, the way they grew so dramatically was in the everyday, in the routine because it was there people talk. It was there friendships were built. It was there you spent quality time with people. It was there God's love could be displayed regularly and consistently. What an opportunity that is. What an opportunity. Also, this light always brings hope. When we trust in Jesus, when we live in relationship with him, full of faith, something happens. I don't know fully how to explain it, but something happens. We radiate something. I remember a few years back before I was 
a pastor here. I was a youth pastor, and before that, I was a mortgage broker in Santander, formerly Abbey National. And I remember this one girl, she came up to me as she left, and she said, Thomas, I always knew you were a Christian. I never, I was a bit kind of shy, didn't really speak about my faith, and uh, kept, kept myself to myself. When we're talking about those parallel lives, I was very much this is my church life and this is my work life. But she came up to me and she just said, I knew you were a Christian. There was just something about you. And I, you know, I didn't say anything about it, but we radiate something. It just reminded me that story. When we believe and trust in Jesus, we ask him into our lives. We live our lives going for it, you know, asking God, what do you want me to do? And the Holy Spirit is changing us. We radiate something. Some people see something without us even speaking about it. Our light brings hope. We're bringers of something. We shine. One of my favorite verses is in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When we're full of faith, we can't help not be a light. We have Jesus' power and authority at hand. In Luke uh, chapter 9, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and at the beginning, he says, All power and authority, you know, he gives it to his disciples, all his power and authority. And there's a striking uh, quote by a guy, a commentator called G.K. Chesterton, and it says this, If a rhinoceros was to enter this restaurant now, there is no denying that he'd have great power here, but I should be the first to rise and assure him that he has no authority, whatever. So he might have power, but he has no authority. And that little verse there just reminded me, when we don't think that our light brings hope, when we don't think we can't do it, when we don't think we have a mission, that's the enemy. And the enemy has power, but he doesn't have authority. And we need to do the exact same thing that he says about the rhinoceros. We should be the first to rise and assure him that he has no authority whatsoever. So what Jesus has given us is not only authority, but power as well, that we can pray and bring hope into situations. We can be the first to arise, to pray for our family, our neighbors, our streets. Pray for your friend who you meet for a coffee having an operation next week. Pray for the old lady in the coffee shop that is limping a wee bit and she says hello to you. I pray for you. The work, your workmate whose, whose son isn't doing too well. We have the power and the authority. Pray anything, pray against anything that's not of Jesus. Our light, the light we possess can bring hope to the darkest of situations. And maybe you feel that word hope is just such an empty word right now. We would love to pray for you. Maybe you're excited about the authority, having that authority. You're thinking, wow, do I? Let's get going. We'd love to pray for you. Or you felt a little, a little bit of excitement stirring you. We'd love to pray for you and just pray into what that looks like. Maybe you don't have a clue what that looks like, but you know that God is speaking to you about that. We'd love to pray for you. And uh, we can't do it alone. So just to, to kind of bring it all together, we can't do it alone. We're to be vulnerable before and depend upon God. One of my uh, favorite TV shows at the minute is Modern Family. And yeah, we have a wee cheer for that. So on my Netflix subscription, this is all I watch, Modern Family. And uh, it focuses on a family, funnily enough, given the title. And you have this guy called Jay. So Jay is the macho dad. He is the dad that's got it all together. He has no emotion. 
No cuddles. You never get a cuddle from Jay. He's a businessman. And this episode in particular, it focuses on Mother's Day. And he's cooking his mother's recipe of a casserole, I think it is. And he's getting all the ingredients. And his son-in-law, Phil, is helping him out. And Phil is, is quite the character. He's invented these onion goggles. He puts the onion goggles on to cook the onions. And while they're cooking this casserole, one of, uh, I think it's a photograph, falls out of the recipe book. And it's off Jay. Or it's a letter, actually, that he wrote as a kid to his mum. And he starts crying. And uh, he blames the onions at first. And Phil says, you should have had the onion goggles. See, they work, they work. This is this macho man. The businessman in the big house, flash car, bravado. He's crying. And he denies it. He goes, no, it was the onions. It was And then they all gather around the table and have this meal, mother's casserole. And uh, the, the conversation gets round about their mother again. And he starts speaking. He says two words. And then he just crumbles and his head hits the deck. And this amazing thing happens because he starts crying. And what do the family do? They're shocked. They're like, oh, no, he's, he's crying. But then they just stand up and all these people just gather around him and give him a big, a big hug. And I'm there bawling like, Maria, you have to see this. This is beautiful. Crying at Modern Family. But just really striking this man who you wouldn't expect to be that vulnerable and that open. Just emotion all over. When it comes to our relationship with God, he longs for that exact same vulnerability and that openness. And just to speak to our men here, that's okay. Just a bit of a men rallying cry. That's okay. Because we like to keep it bottled up in there sometimes. That's okay. And Paul, if we look at Paul in the other letters, he's the chief culprit of being vulnerable before God. If there's any man, there's various others in the Bible, but Paul himself is incredibly, incredibly vulnerable before God. If you read 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 12 to 17, uh, he also speaks in 1 Timothy 1, uh, chap, uh, verse 15, about being the foremost of sinners. But this one verse in particular, I just want to read a collection of verses here. Romans 7, 17 to 25, and it's the message version here. But I need something more, this is Paul speaking, for I know the law but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decision, decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, 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 and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in my life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. We can't do it alone. We can't give a little or almost all. Paul himself speaks, it needs to be all. It needs to be everything. And that needs to be include, including being vulnerable before God. 
And that might be difficult for a number of reasons. It might be difficult because we're, one, scared of what might happen. We have some tissues, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay to be crying and, and give that to God. Sometimes in doing that very thing is a releasing. The Holy Spirit can work in that and releasing uh, just maybe pain and anger and, and past hurt in that. Or maybe exactly that, you're scared of the past, that you did it in the past and you were let down. You were open and vulnerable and you were let down. We'd love to pray into that and, and just pray that that's gone in Jesus' name. God promises to prosper, not to harm. We remember that. He promises to prosper and not to harm. So I want to encourage us, as Paul was to be completely open before God, that we are called to be exactly the same. And just to, to bring it all to a close, uh, just had a picture of he doesn't want us carrying luggage anywhere. And just maybe for a few of us, it feels a bit like, you know, you're going on a mega holiday and you've got all these suitcases and you're carrying them on your shoulder. You've got these big backpacks and it's, you know, you've got rope carrying it all together and you're just trudging along. And right now, for some people, that feels how, how life is at the minute, just quite heavy and, you know, backs all arched and it just feels like it's all on top of us. We need to remember that Jesus wants to just take that all away. That's, that's what he did on the cross for us. So we don't carry that anymore. On the cross, he paid for all that. So he wants to take it away. So it's a mission that matters. Let's not be weighed down, but seek to, to lay down before God afresh what it is that we're carrying that we don't need to be carrying. And we need to be on that journey of realizing that every morning we need him. We need him each and every day. That that's our strength, our motivation, our focus, and ultimately our purpose. Why don't we stand?